You're listening to the Harris Beach Podcast, a show that explores evolving issues in the law and how they shape organizations, the way business is conducted, and how we live and work. The information provided in this episode does not and is not intended to constitute legal advice. Instead, all information, content, and materials are for general informational purposes only. Thanks for listening. Here's today's host. Green energy is moving well beyond the novelty stage in New York State. It is poised to quickly become one of the state's most important industries with the potential to create tens of thousands of jobs and eliminate our reliance on fossil fuels entirely. As part of his State of the State address, Governor Andrew Cuomo proposed an aggressive set of investments and initiatives that he believes will make New York the leader of the renewable energy industry in the United States. His plans call for new large-scale renewable energy generation projects, along with substantial investments in transmission capabilities, renewable energy manufacturing, and battery storage. You can read more about the governor's proposals in our show notes. Today on the Harris Beach Podcast, we're joined by partner Michelle Pisecki. Michelle and her colleagues on the Harris Beach Energy Industry Team counsel public and private entities on all aspects of energy law and energy-related project development. Michelle will tell us what she found most notable in the governor's plans and explain what she's learned about how to be successful before the state's new Office of Renewable Energy Siting, which will play a central role in determining which new projects are built. Michelle, thanks for being with us. The governor has laid out an ambitious agenda. Can you tell us from a developer's standpoint what aspects you found most significant? Sure. First, I just want to say thanks for having me. Always a pleasure to talk about uh, energy and and the energy initiatives that that New York has undertaken in the past few years. It's a very exciting time to be in the industry, I think, both from a a development side, which are are the folks that we generally help uh, go through the processes, and and also um, for, for those residents who are out there and are interested in um, ensuring that the environment is around for for their themselves and future generations. With uh, respect to the governor's uh, address today, um, obviously for for me the the biggest aspects uh, of his speech were about those uh, renewable projects that you mentioned. There are you know 24 uh, large scale renewable projects. Uh, we'll see whether. The majority of them, I, I anticipate, will be solar, but we'll see if there are some wind projects in there as well, uh, which are poised to just continue uh, what's been going on in the last few years in terms of uh, in- ensuring that there's a, a number of generation projects that will be coming online to help the state reach its ambitious clean energy goals. So mm-hmm. th- those projects and, and continuing to um, expand across the state with those efforts is very important. The other thing that uh, I think dovetails very nicely uh, with respect to the, the generation that we're adding to the state is the, the renewed focus on transmission. I think even before the state <clears throat> developed the clean energy standard and its uh, renewable goals, there was a need for upgrades to transmission a- across the state. Um, you know, there's, there's a report that's put out by NISO uh, in terms of where transmission is at and, and whether or not it, it's critical in terms of up- upgrades or if it can it wait for a few years before those uh, lines needed to be upgraded. And I, I think there's been a, a general decline over time, obviously, and, and to some extent, 
that kind of aspect of the energy market has has been ignored. So it's nice to see that there's going to be a, a focus on ensuring that there uh, is enough updated transmission to ensure that all of this great renewable energy that we're proposing to to add to to the state is is going to have somewhere to go and, and not run into problems on on that side because you know the the aging in infrastructure just isn't able to keep up. Yeah, and that's important, Michelle, because you can make the energy in one place, but you have to get it to the homes and the businesses that need it, right? Right, absolutely. <laughs> it doesn't really help if you're if you're adding more ingredients to the mix if there's nowhere to bake them, right? So right. Uh, adding more transmission, ensuring that the existing transmission is, is capable of handling increased load are all very important aspects to ensure that we're actually able to meet the goals and, and make sure that the residences and businesses uh, that are that are relying on this energy are able to um, ensure that it's going to be there when they need it. You know, there was one other um, aspect of the governor's uh, comments today that I wanted to ask you about um, because it sounded pretty significant to me, and that was some commitments um, to develop manufacturing for things like wind towers and turbine manufacturing, port development, um, you know, all aimed at supporting uh, renewable energy, wind power. Has manufacturing, you know, availability of solar panels and other components, has that been a challenge for developers? And do you think having um, more localized manufacturing will help move these projects along more quickly? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, an increased focus on ensuring that there are manufacturing plants and processes in place to develop the components that are necessary for for building these projects, and not just building, but you know, at times there are, there needs to be replacements of equipment and that type of thing. Having that readily available and uh, close in source to where the projects are being located is is extremely important for for both wind and solar projects. There are only so many places currently in the entire world that uh, develop these resources. And uh, a lot of times there are issues with lead time in securing uh, enough equipment to be able to, to put a project online. So a, a company that's looking to develop a, a very large offshore wind project or, or a, a large solar project may have to order equipment a year out, or if, if for some reason equipment breaks down, there's an issue where a project could have to go offline because the lead time to replace, replace whatever that component is may take too long. Um, so the fact that there's going to be some investment to ensuring that we have those uh, manufacturing plants closer to home where a lot of these projects are being placed is I think very significant in terms of getting these projects online in the first place, but also ensuring that they continue to be able to operate uh, efficiently without any sort of interruption. Sure sounds like uh, the way the process is set up, it currently is a huge business challenge to get everything that you need to keep get projects up and keep them online. So it's to be interesting to see how this speeds things up. Next question, Michelle. Uh, you know, I you are involved in providing counsel to you know a lot of renewable energy projects, uh, developers, uh, both upstate and downstate. I was just kind of curious in terms of um, you know based on that involvement, what can you say about how these types of projects are being received? You know, many communities are are seeing proposals these days. What do developers need to prepare for? What should they expect in terms of how 
their proposals will be received um, in at, at the local level. Sure. Uh, here at Harris Beach, uh, our, our team, our energy industry team actually focuses on both small scale and large scale permitting. So that's large scale would be 25 megawatts and, and greater and, and small scale would generally be, um, you know, five, around five megawatts or so, though they can go all the way up to, to 20, depending on, um, you know, what the developer wants and, and location and that type of thing. Depending on the size of the project, the, the response can be different. Uh, so naturally, uh, with any sort of development, if you have larger development, you know, you can generate a, a greater response than if, if you're a, a smaller project. But for the most okay. part, what we see from, from residences and communities are, are just a lot of questions because the technology and the focus and support for renewable energy is relatively new in the state. So, um, you know, we have questions about what happens when, when the life of the project is over, how are, how is the project going to be decommissioned, where, where is it going to be decommissioned and, you know, how are we protected from, you know, ensuring that we're not paying for the cost of that, Mm. you know, what, what impact is it going to have, um, you know, on, on our energy base locally or, or across the state, you know, what, what are the benefits for the project, which there are numerous benefits that uh, developers like to focus on in terms of the money that's going to be brought into the locality, the, the jobs that are often going to be created, and, and the community partnerships that are really developed. Um, in addition, most of these projects are cited on uh, local farms, uh, farmland, is seen as a Mm. uh, generally beneficial land source. So they support the continuation of the farming community who is, uh, who are in many cases, uh, part of a depressed community that are, that are seeing issues with um, ensuring that the farm continues to be economically viable for future generations. So Mm. um, whether it's a a solar project or a wind project, the, uh, the payments that are made to uh, the farms who are housing these projects on their property are generally uh, enough to support continued operation of their farm or even, you know, in some cases, an expansion of those operations down the line. Wow. So it's helping to keep those uh, communities, uh, that, that source of food protected. Um, you know, in addition to that, we get questions uh, a lot of times about viewpoints. Uh, folks are worried about, you know, what they're going to see. So I think in terms of um, what developers can do to prepare is, is one, ensuring that they're out there in the community, uh, engaging with residents, uh, seeing what questions that they have. A lot of them, like I said, are, are generally the same. They're things that we, that we uh, hear uh, often. Um, they're all usually dealt with throughout the, the siting process, whether it's at the local level or or the state level, um, you know, most of the studies that have to be done to support an application going through a, a local permitting process or the, the state permitting process cover all the environmental aspects that might come mm-hmm. up, um, you know, what, what the potential views are and, and how to minimize those. Um, <clears throat> but getting out there and, and hearing what residents are concerned about is, is a big aspect because a lot of times those concerns can be addressed up front. Um, mm-hmm. by the developer, mm-hmm. just, just simply providing more information on a relatively, like I said, new resource that just folks don't have a lot of experience or knowledge about. So that's, that's one of the biggest things. And then just, just throughout trying to interact as much as possible 
with the community and, and the residents and, and really demonstrate that the developer is is interested in, in putting the project in a, in a certain location because um, that's where it's going to be most viable. You need access to the to the sun or, or wind, depending on which mm-hmm. type of renewable energy it is. You need access to um, a, a transmission line and uh, you need willing landowners and partners who are 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 prepared to uh, put the the project on their property. But beyond that, um, you know, most developers uh, understand that they're going to be uh, a member of the community as as a local business for a very long time, and they're and they're interested in ensuring that they have a good partnership with uh, mm-hmm. the the community that they're in and the the residents that are you know living around them. It sounds like a lot of issues to work through, but there's also a lot of economic benefits behind it as well. So it's good to know that working up front and keep maintaining those lines of communication are, is um, the right way to go. And, and then finally, Michelle, given the governor's ambitious agenda, kind of the way that he laid it out today, what would you say are some of the key factors in addition to keeping those lines of communication open? But what are some of the key factors for developers to be successful in working their way through both the regulatory process of siting and permitting, would you say? Sure. Um, so the the process for permitting a, a large scale project is has somewhat transitioned. Um, there used to be a, a law called Article 10 that projects had to go through and that many projects are, are still going through. There is a new siting process under Section 94C of the executive law that is now housed in the Office of a Renewable Energy Siting, or ORES. Um, that is specifically uh, looking at these large-scale projects to uh, attempt to streamline the process to some extent so that developers know upfront, here's all the information that you're going to need to provide uh, in the application that will be reviewed and, and a decision will be made by this dedicated office whose only job is to look at these projects. Whereas before, this, the siting board um, and, and largely the Department of Public Service were responsible for kind of going, you know, transitioning these projects through the permitting process and, and making a decision. But they have many other, you know, many other focuses that they were worried about in the energy space. And, and the members of the signing board were from, you know, all different agencies with, with very different issues that they have to deal with independently, too. So now the, the process will really be focused in, in one office whose um, you know, sole goal is looking at these, which should help ensure that all of the projects are, are being reviewed and decided on a, a similar set of standards instead of um, you know, constantly having to, to modify what the, the requirements may be as you go through the process and, and folks may learn new information. So really, it can provide some certainty to developers upfront that you know, absent some unique issues with the with the site of your project, for instance, if there are specific environmental species that you need to be uh, concerned about, or if there are wetlands that you need to mitigate, uh, you know, generally there's going to be a, a set of standards that are going to be applied, and mm-hmm. uh, a decision will be made timely on on your application rather than than being, um, you know, strung out over a number of years, as has often been the case under uh, the Article 10 process. So in order to be successful in that, um, you know, I, I think what's going to be important for 
developers, and, and we've seen it borne out on, on the Article 10 side, is really uh, having good partnerships with uh, folks who uh, you know understand the process and, and can assist you through the permitting process and, and have relationships with the, the Office of Renewable Energy Siting. Um, you know, as, as that office has pulled from, you know, some of the other agencies like DPS and DEC to try and build up their office, it, it's going to be really important to, to work with those folks uh, to, to get through the permitting process and to address any issues that, that may come up during the application review stage. And, um, you know, on that front, relationship building and, and communication is something that uh, Hair Speech has always uh, advised our renewable clients to be focused on to be getting out in, in the community and, and to be working with the state agencies. Um, and, and we feel like that has mm -hmm. really led to successful efforts for those projects that we've been working on. And even though the community has, to some extent, a lesser role in the new siting process than, than the old Article 10 siting process, for those uh, developers who are interested in obtaining a, a REC award from NYSERDA or uh, from NYPA, um, you know, community engagement is still going to be a touchstone uh, of, of their review and whether to, mm -hmm. or not to issue REC awards. So, so that's not going away, that community partnership aspect. Because of this renewed focus that the, the siting office, the new siting office and the new siting process have brought to the the energy industry and, and all of the other items that were mentioned during the state of the state address today in, in terms of transmission upgrades and offshore wind and manufacturing. Um, you know, H Harris Beach has has really focused on broadening our energy industry team. We've recently added three new associates to assist in those efforts. Um, you know, like I mentioned initially at, at very uh, at the front of this. Um, the energy space is constantly expanding. It's a very exciting industry to work in. And so we're also trying to expand and develop our team to, to match our clients' needs uh, throughout the process. So I think we'll be working through that together. Excellent. Yeah, it sounds like, as you said at the beginning, kind of an exciting time um, and also important for the state as um, we rebuild the economy after the, the pandemic. So, Michelle, thanks very much for joining us. For more information about our in energy industry team or to reach Michelle, please visit www.harrisbeach.com energy. Thanks for listening to the Harris Beach podcast. Be sure to visit harrisbeach.com to join the conversation and access show notes. Please rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast.